0: Um, cool. Um, so guys, I've got, you know, a few minutes here, you know, uh, I feel like I've got hours worth of stuff to fit. So I hope you have a crock pot that's on low at home right now. Uh, so, or plan on that Taco Bell run when you leave. Um, so, uh, just a a couple things. Uh, um, uh, where's Daniel? I see you at Taco Bell, Daniel. Taco Bell, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Sorry. Um, um a, a few things that just wanna I wanna share, and I, I'm just gonna share just a a, a shortened version of. Uh, what I had. So first of all, I want to thank everybody for praying, uh, praying for me. Uh, if you, uh, many of you heard, I had a little bit of a health scare uh, last Sunday. Uh, we're still trying to figure out exactly what what's going on. Uh, so uh, I just appreciate your prayers, but so thank, thankful for all of you who reached out and said, "Hey, how you doing?" And uh, praying for you and all that kind of stuff. So uh, and uh, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to use this platform to talk about all that, but very thankful uh, for our church family and. Um, and all of you who are concerned, so thank you, thank you so much for that, so uh, also, I just want to share briefly, so um, I I could talk about this all night, I'm I'm not going to, I I probably will post something on social media at some point in time about With some more thoughts about this, but um, most of you in the room, if not all of you, have heard about this amazing kind of outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, going on in Kentucky and Asbury, um, which is a college or seminary uh, in in Kentucky. Um, It's actually one of the places I considered going to when I went to do my seminary education. Uh, I have a lot of affinity to two or three of my absolute favorite New Testament scholars. Are on staff there, and so um, so I 've got a lot of affinity for the place, but a couple weeks ago, um, uh, after uh, just a normal chapel service, nothing nothing crazy, uh, a few students stuck around after the chapel and felt like they just weren't done meeting with the Lord in prayer. And so they just kind of lingered. Uh, a few other students went back to, to uh, the other students went back to campus, uh, and then some of them asked to be dismissed from class and just said, I don't, I don't know why, but I feel like I'm supposed to go back. Uh, and so slowly but surely over the course of the day, essentially the entire campus gathered back in the chapel, and that has been going on since February 8th. Um, and so um, we, uh, uh, Jen and I and the kids decided to go down. Uh, we let a couple other people know, hey, we're going, you know. Um, and part of the reason for that is uh, just personally part of the calling on my life. Uh, I feel like the Lord has put um, kind of awakening and revival and renewal in my heart since I was, uh, since I was in middle school. Uh, it's something I've been praying for uh, just a day or two um, before I really don't know for sure the dates um, around this, but right around this, the same day that it started, the day before, the day after, before I knew it was happening, I was in my car and I felt like the Lord just said, get ready. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, uh, and so um, then I also had somebody I really trust uh, just said, hey, I just saw, saw, um, saw a picture of an angel coming, in your, uh, coming to you and taking handcuffs off. Uh, and releasing you into something that you've been praying for for a really long time, that was right right around the same day. That all happened right on the same day. And so it felt like to me, like, I couldn't not go uh, to Kentucky. I wanted my kids to be able to witness um, a generation of people hungry uh, for for the Lord and to see um, see what it looks like to pursue God with your whole heart. Uh, And so... um, so we went down and spent the last three days. We just got back a couple hours ago. Um, and, uh, guys, this is, a, this is a real, genuine move of God in our lifetime. Uh, I'm not saying everybody should go. I don't think everybody should go, actually. I think it's 100% if you don't feel like you should. Um, uh, but the, the things that, that we witnessed in terms of, um, uh, um, yeah, yeah confession of sin, uh, people asking for forgiveness, people sharing testimonies of physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. uh, I mean, you name it. It's the closest thing I've ever experienced to Acts chapter 2. Uh, and so that, if you don't know, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, uh, is the cry of my heart for our church family, that we would be that. And that's exactly what I saw. Power of the Spirit, uh, people people being filled with the Spirit, people confessing. I mean, it was just absolutely incredible. And so I just want you to know from a firsthand you know, uh, experience uh, that what you're hearing on the seeing, uh, and seeing and stuff like that on the Internet uh, is is 100% real and genuine. Uh, you can talk to a few others. The Richies were there. The Withrows were there. Um, so if you want to ask some other people about their experience, then, then, then please do it. I'm happy to, to share more about that. Um, the thing that's the most impressive to me is the whole entire time I felt like this is, what the, this is what church is supposed to be. This is, this is what the church is called to be. Acts 2 wasn't supposed to stop in Acts 2. I will die going to that hill. Uh, uh, we're supposed to still be living like a family, gathered around the word of God, sharing things in common with one another, experiencing the power of God. People being added to our number daily, right? Worshiping and praying, like these are the things that the people of God are called to be, and this is like what we're going to do. Um, but in times and seasons, uh, this, the life of the church, it kind of slows, and we need to be awakened again. Uh, and so that's kind of what's happening It's just this sense of awakening. Uh, it's 100% true that the same Holy Spirit that's there is in you. And is not contained to a place. I want want to be really, really clear about that. That said, sometimes uh, God calls us to a place. Um, There are many, many times in Scripture where God says go. (laughs) When God says go, you go. You don't ask questions. You just do it. Um, and so, um, and so I, I don't know what this, I have no long-term predictions about what this means for the church in America. I have no expectations other than high expectations for what this means for our, for our church family. Um, I'm just going to stand on God's word and he said, get ready. So we're getting ready. So, uh, no agenda to come in tonight and for anything special to happen. Just, we were praying, um, before service and just felt like, um, we were just supposed to not wait until 4.30 and start worship, and so we just did. Um, and uh, uh, we're, gonna just, we're just going to continue to do that. So, yeah, anyway, I could talk all night about that. but um, I've got nine minutes. <laughs> Turn to Matthew chapter 4. I'm only sharing this because I, I would wait. This is normally I would just be like, wait and then we'll deal with this next Sunday. But I feel like some of you need to hear this before you head into the Lent season. So that's why, that's why I'm sharing this. So uh, like Meg said, um, we're not overly religious uh, about this kind of stuff. Um, There are times and seasons where it makes sense uh, for you to have intentional times of fasting and pursuing the Lord. That's all Lent is. Uh, So it prepares our hearts for the celebration of Easter. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. I could care less. I do care that you're pursuing and hungering after the Lord, whatever you call it. Uh, So we kick that off on Wednesday. Uh, It's a traditional day that people get ashes. It's kind of a symbolic marker of of a season. Uh, so, um, so God has made us the kind of people that work in rhythms uh, and seasons. We are we are people that are marked by, by certain seasons, and so this is just our, our, one of the ways that the church has done this, and so we, we just open ourselves up to it. And So uh, some of this is based here in this chapter. The practice of Lent is actually based here in, in Matthew chapter 4. Did I say Luke? I meant Matthew if I said Luke. Matthew chapter 4, and we've been in the gospel of Matthew, and we know that Jesus is um, kind of um, reliving the life of Israel. And he's succeeding where Israel has failed. Uh, now, just like the Israelites went into a time of testing in the wilderness, after they were led out of Egypt, Jesus enters into, the time, into this time of testing into the wilderness. And I talked about what a wilderness season was a couple of weeks ago. And so this is, we're going to flesh that out a little bit over the next couple of weeks. So here's what it says. I'm just going to read through the first part. Um, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the word of the Lord. And I believe it. There you go. So Lord just. Make this make sense in the next five minutes or so. In your name, amen. So here we've got Jesus. He's hungry. Forty days will do that to you without food, right? So it's interesting. Um, a, couple, a couple little thoughts. I'm just going to pepper you with some stuff. Um, it says here at the beginning of the passage that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, into this time of testing or temptation, Um, it's not like Jesus was forced into the wilderness. I want you to to think about this. It's not like the Holy Spirit ascended in the form of a physical person, took Jesus by the hand and said, you must go with me and you can't resist. There was something where Jesus was attuned to the voice of the Holy Spirit in his life that said, it's time for you to go into the wilderness and, and be tested. And Jesus said, yes. So this time of testing is an act of obedience on the part of Jesus. I want you to see that. This time of testing is an act of obedience on the part of Jesus. And here's why that's important. Oftentimes, when we feel like the Lord is leading us to do something or inviting us to do something, we think that an act of obedience will equal easy. This was not an easy thing for Jesus. Sometimes I get it in my head that if God's asking me to do something and I do it, that I'm going to somehow step into something easier because God asked me to do it. That is not true. I hate to burst your bubble like and burst my own bubble, but oftentimes when God asks us to step into something, it actually is hard before it gets easy. We actually experience the testing and the challenge before we see the blessing in it. Now, that said, anytime God asks us to step into it, to something, there is blessing in it for you. When God asks us to step into something in obedience, just know God is never going to ask you to do something that isn't for your good somehow. You might not see it right away. You might not even see it on this side of heaven. But stepping into obedience is for your good, even if it's hard. And for Jesus, he stepped in, okay, I, I don't know what's going through his mind. Like, but I'm sure he thought this is not going to be fun. I don't know for sure if Jesus knew the devil is going to take me to the highest point in Jerusalem and show me all the kingdoms of the world. Like, I don't know. I don't know what he, what he was thinking, Like, but here's what we do know is that after this experience in the wilderness, after the step of following the voice of the Holy Spirit, he emerges from this time, it tells us in Luke chapter 4, that, and he came in the power of the Holy Spirit. So something happened in Jesus' obedience in the wilderness that gave him a level of spiritual authority he did not have before this time. I don't understand how this works. It's just what the scriptures say. It says really clearly, just read, go and read this in the Gospel of Luke. He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, and he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. And right after that, he begins to proclaim his message. So something here gave Jesus this step of obedience, gave him the ability to perform his ministry in a way that he, up prior to this point, wasn't ready to step into. I don't understand how it works. I just know that it does. So here's what I just want to say to you about this is like, there may be some stuff in your life right now. You feel like I, I feel this nudge that I'm supposed to do X. I feel like God is asking me to do X, but it feels like maybe it will be painful and you're not allowed to see the blessing in it. Or maybe you are in the middle of it right now. Maybe you have been obedient. Maybe you have stepped into something and you feel like I've done God, what you asked me to do. Why are you making this easy? Anyone pray prayers like that? Or is it just me? Right? I'm telling you, there will be blessing in it. Uh, Because God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Actually, it says in Hebrews that we have to believe that about God. It's a requirement to believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Jesus says that any of you have left all of these things, your families, your jobs, all this other kind of stuff, will not fail to see blessing in this life and in the life to come. I'm going to take God at his word. I'm going to take him at his word. I'm going to take him at his word. All right, that was the setup. So here's what happens. So Jesus is obedient. He's hungry in the wilderness. And the enemy comes and says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. This is an important thing for us to realize about temptation and about testing that comes from the enemy. The testing from the enemy is always, is always aimed at creating disconnection between you and the Father. The temptation and the testing of the enemy is always aimed at creating disconnection between you and the Father. It is never about the specific sin that you feel tempted to do. It's never about that. It's never about that. His aim, just like it was in the Garden of Eden, is to to create something inside of you that creates disconnection between you and the Father. That's exactly what he did with Adam and Eve. The serpent comes to Adam and Eve and, and begins to plant the seed of doubt about God's goodness. Why? Well, because if I don't perceive that God is good... Well, then there's an immediate sense of disconnection. Has anyone ever betrayed your trust? Or maybe you thought betrayed your trust, but you weren't sure. It immediately puts this kind of disconnection between you, between you and another person. And what the enemy wants to do is to cry, try to create that sense of distance, that sense of disconnection for any, for any number of different things. And by the way, it doesn't have to be about sinful behavior. right? We often, uh, it, it can be about not doing what God is asking us to do. Has God ever asked you to do something and, like, you kind of resisted it and it created this sense of, like, distance between you and the Father? I have something right now in my own life where I feel like, Lord, I did not listen to you about that. Like, and I, to be honest, it's hanging over my head. I'm, I'm, I'm having to remind myself that God's not frustrated or angry at me or punishing me like for it. Like, but it's, it's creating that sense of disconnection. And that's exactly what, what the enemy is trying to do. He's trying to create this sense of dissonance between what God said is true about, what who the Father said is true about Jesus, and what he's trying to manipulate him to thinking. So he says, if you are the Son of God, well, what did God just say? You remember what, what just happened right before this? Like two verses before? The voice of the heaven opens. This is my son who I love and who I am well pleased. Is there any question about whether or not Jesus is the son? No. But the enemy is trying to plant the seed of doubt about that trying to create a sense of confusion about that. And that is how he is working in your life right now. I guarantee you that is how the enemy is trying to work. He is trying to put a wedge of disconnection between you and and the father. Sometimes it looks like sin because that sin produces shame and that shame causes us to push God away. That's exactly what happens in the garden. The moment that Adam and and Eve sin, they cover over themselves. They're hiding from God because of the shame. Guys, sin does not repel God. That's not the way it works. Actually, the, the story throughout the, the scripture is that God pursues sinful people. It's that we run away from him. It's, it, I, I know this is not reverse because we think about like God can't stand sin. All I can say is Jesus is the perfect image of God, the exact representation of his being. And everywhere that Jesus went, he was with sinful people. And instead of saying, no, get away from me, Jesus was like, no, bring him in closer. The Pharisees were like, you can't let that woman touch you, Jesus. Don't you know she's sinful? He was like, bring her in. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus is not repelled by your sin. He made a way for your sin, right? But what the enemy wants to do is to twist and distort things so that we push God away. So that there is distortion that that we have. And and the the effect of sin and disobedience in our life, it has a compounding interest kind of effect. The more we step into that, the more it causes us to push God away. I wish I had more time to go into that. I don't. you, You get the point. But the thing is, he's not tempting Jesus to sin here. It's not sin for Jesus to turn the stones into bread. Right? As a matter of fact, Jesus, in his own ministry later on, is going to have this awesome, like, miracle of multiplication, right? He's going to turn a couple of loaves and a couple fishes into feeding maybe up to 20,000 people. I had a sense of scale. There were probably some over 5,000 people at Asbury this weekend, people on the lawn, people in every nook and cranny of this campus. I was thinking about this, like 5,000 people? Like, Jesus fed all those people with this bass? That's insane to me, Right? So the devil's not trying to tempt Jesus to sin because creating food isn't sin. Jesus could do this if he wants to do. The issue is he's trying to get at something that's underneath of it all. And to understand that, we, we've gotta, we almost have to look at Jesus' response. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why does Jesus respond that way? Why is that his response? He could have just said, no, like, I'm not going to do it. But he says, no, there's something in there in Jesus' statement that where Jesus recognizes the issue here is like, who do I trust to sustain me? Who do I trust to sustain me? Will I trust in my own ability and take control of my circumstances to provide for myself? Or will I trust that my heavenly father is going to take care of me? That's really the the heart of the matter. And the temptation, the enemy knows this. The enemy knows that Jesus is really committed to hungering and thirsting after what his heavenly father has for him. And so the enemy comes and tries to test and say, okay, turn it it into bread. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to let my physical hunger outweigh the hunger that I have for what my father has for me. That's essentially what is, what's happening here in this story. So Jesus responds, hey, nope, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The reality is that God has made us to be people who um, need food. <laughs> We're human beings. We have physical needs as humans. If we don't drink water, for a period of time, we will die. If you go long enough without eat, eating food, you will die. If you go f- long enough without human connection, it has really terrible adverse effects in the human body and the human mind. God has made us to be creatures that have physical and emotional needs. God never asks us to deny those things. But what he does ask us to do is place those things in the proper order in our lives. Essentially, our hunger for God has to outweigh our hunger for personal satisfaction in those other areas. We have to make sure that our desires are not disordered, that he is the number one priority, and that we're not allowing any of the other stuff that's going on in our life to get ahead of our desire for him. Because at the core of it is, do we trust him to supply what we really need? Do I trust him? Nothing would have been wrong had Jesus decided to, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and, I'm going to go ahead and turn these stones into bread. It, like, it's not like what the Father would have been mad at him. But there, there was a reality that Jesus knew that there's something that the Father has for me that's better than food. It's better than what I could do right now. It's better than a way that I could sustain myself in this moment. And the reality is, I think all of us have different things in our life where we feel tempted to meet our own needs. Like, you know, we, we feel, not, not, temptation's not even the right word. It's our gut level response to try to make sure that our, our own needs are met rather than trusting God to meet our needs. At least it is for me. How I can, how I know that is, by worrying that my needs won't met, won't be met right will there be enough like will there be enough friendships will there be enough time will there be enough money will there be enough retirement money like well you know you see what i mean like we have all these things where we ask this question will 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 there be enough And it's not wrong to ask those questions. What's wrong is to not have our chief priority is, do I have enough of God? Is my hunger for him outweigh all the other hungers in my life? Am I hungry for what only he can give? Am I willing to see how he is able to sustain me even when I'm wearied and I'm tired? Sometimes the only way that we can know whether or not that's true is to remove something from the equation. So here, food is removed from the equation. And the test that's come to Jesus is like, hey, are you going to give in to this physical hunger that you have? Is that more important than than the hunger that you have for your father's heart and your father's will? Later on, Jesus would say, my food and drink is to do the will of my father. So I can think about Jesus, like this being in Jesus' mind, like right, okay. Well, what's the thing that really sustains me? It's the will and the heart of my Father. So sometimes the only way that we can know whether or not we are really hungering for what God has for us and His sustaining power in our life, versus hungering after the like whatever the world has to offer, is to remove the thing that the world has to offer for a while and see what effect that has on us. Does that make sense? So Jesus here is at his weakest point physically, but at his strongest point spiritually. That's the way I read this passage. He's at his weakest point physically, but he's at his strongest point spiritually because he realizes he actually doesn't need what the enemy's coming to tempt him with. It's like, I know my father's going to take care of me. So what are you hungry for? Are you hungry for the things of God more than you are the things of this world? Like, Are you willing to trust God to sustain you? Or is it easier just to worry? Or is it easier just try to make stuff happen on your own? The Father is just so kind and nice that, like, he's not like mad at you for it. He's just like, I just have so much better for you. I love what it says. Jesus says here, I'm going to wrap it up here in a second, that we don't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's like, there is something for you that you get to feast on that far outweighs whatever physical gratification you can have right now. I know that that doesn't make any sense if you've never experienced it, but I'm telling you it is true. What God has on offer for you can satisfy you in the depths of your soul in a way that no food can, or drink can, or drug can, or sexual relationship can, or pornography can, or whatever it is. Like, like God can satisfy you. He can satisfy you. So here, I, I, just, I have two, two little challenges to leave you with. I challenge you to fast food, not to eat fast food. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, some of you. But I, I challenge you to a period of fasting during this Lent season. Jesus' assumption is that we would be people who fast. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, When you fast, that's interesting. The Apostle Paul tells us, Hey, you couples, you guys make sure that you spend time in the bedroom together, except. For when you're fasting, right? The assumption of the New Testament is that fasting would be normal for God's people. Not out of obligation, not to fulfill a religious uh, ceremony, not to try to convince God to do anything. Because it does something in our heart. The primary thing it does is reveal what our desires are. The primary thing is, what are you hungry for? Now, I realize there are all kinds of other things you could fast, and that's good, and that's fine if you want to. Like, some, some of us, like, recognize, like, hey, I, um, I, I recognize that I, I, I spend a lot of time on my phone, or I spend a lot of time on social media, and, like, and I don't, and I, I probably, I feel this unction that I need to lay that down for a season. Fine, good, do that. My guess is you don't know how dependent you are on it, like, until you let it go. So that's fine that do that. But fasting at its core is about setting aside the most basic human needs like so that we can see what's really in our heart. If this doesn't land for you, that's fine. Uh, there's no sense of religious spirit in this. I just, I personally want to experience hunger for God that outweighs everything else in I, perfectly want, I personally want to know what does it mean that your love is better than life? What does it mean that I don't just live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God? How do I build myself up by feasting on the word of God? I don't know what this might look, for you, look like for you, but I challenge you during the next 40 plus days during the Lent season, commit to some kind of fast. A day a week, a meal, whatever it is. I, I just whatever it is, whatever it is, and see if the Lord would, would would reveal something in your heart. The second part of that is, I challenge you to feast on the Word of God. I challenge you instead. Don't just not eat. I challenge you to get your face in this book and devour it. Psalm 119, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to your Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the law that comes from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in your precepts. And consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. I am laid low in dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I, I gave an account of my ways and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Cause me to understand the way of your precepts. And I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. It goes on and on and on and on in Psalm 119. There is a feast before you in, in the word of God. So I just I encourage you and challenge you to take Jesus at his word. He's quoting what God says to the Israelites way back in the, in the Old Testament when they had no food to eat and God provided this crazy manna bread from heaven. He said, I did this to teach you that you don't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What if the Lord would want to teach you something about his season and how he can sustain you by his word? It's a challenge that I have for you. Lord, I pray that whatever I've said that's from you would stick. And whatever's not from you, don't let it. Lord, I pray for encounters with you and your word. That like a beacon of light, Lord, when when someone opens the scriptures, chooses to read your word instead of eat a meal, Lord, they would just be in your delight, feasting on the good things you have for them. Lord, I pray that my friends, myself included, Lord, would be willing to enter into the test to see whether or not we hunger for you or whether we're hungering for the things of this world. Teach us how to hunger for you, Lord. your name we pray, amen. If you feel like you need to spend a little time praying, you're welcome to pray. I know we went long. Uh, Otherwise, you guys go have an awesome week. We'll see you. To a city I cannot see Through the depths of the valley Where the sun can